You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Back in the day when you were a CEO in Mind Valley, did you have stories? And if so, what stories were playing in your head about quitting and pursuing your own dreams? Oh, I had a huge story at the time. When I was running Mind Valley, I was partners with somebody else, like relationship wise. Mm-hmm. And that relationship wasn't really going anywhere. I was so horrible in that relationship. I was just unhappy and dissatisfied and didn't really feel anything in that relationship. You know, one of those dead relationships mm-hmm. almost, at least for me. I'm not saying that was true for her, but definitely for me, it wasn't like anything that I was excited about going into the future. I had also found that I was working so hard that I had lost touch with my family, with my friends, with creativity, with things. I was just really good at what I did though. I was probably the best in class for sure in what I was doing at the time, which is running this wonderful company. And at the time when I recognized it was a Christmas holiday season, basically, where I was left alone because my partner didn't want to come down to Malaysia where I was and I didn't want to travel again to Italy because it was too cold. And I was just by myself and I had two weeks by myself and that gave me space to really question what I was doing with my life because I felt like I don't have friends or if I have friends, they're all drinking friends. You know, I don't really want to hang out with them when we're not drinking or some of them (laughs) I do want to hang out, but we always talk about work. There's Mm -hmm. nothing beyond that. I have no creative outlets. I have nothing that I've really pursued. I was living a very comfortable way, nice life. I had the dream car, the dream house, all Mm -hmm. the dream, dream stuff. And I was like, if the dream cannot be so material that I have no soul left in it. And that kind of got me to the edge saying, what is it that needs to happen for me to find my soul again? Because it felt like I was a transactional human being or I had become a transactional human being. And that brought up all the insecurities because it worked really hard to get there. And I had really, really delivered to and built some great competencies and skills. And I mean, who doesn't want to be a CEO at 32 Mm -hmm. of over or for $40 million company. We were doing 40, 45 million in the year that I was CEO. And so it was pretty significant. It was 31, 31, maybe 32, something like that. So I was very young CEO. And this was the dream. That was always the dream. Like become CEO really early and then, you know, become a partner and then or uh, become CEO of a larger company and basically do the track. And that was parents' dream. That was everybody's dream around me. And I was helping everybody else live their dream because of that. And at one point I was like, but it's not making me happy. Mm-hmm. I was not happy doing what I was doing. I was not joyous. I wasn't even living up to who I could be. And so there was fear of what will I do? How will I do it? What happens when money dries up? Do I even know what I'm going to do next? You know, like... What am I gonna, what am I gonna do? Just like leave everything and go travel the world? Like it sounded mm-hmm. so dumb at that point. Because I was like that's such a you know, a cliche. hippie idea. Such, such a, a cliche, cliche idea. It's like what <laughs> eat pray love now? Yeah. What the fuck am I talking about, yeah. right? So at that time it was really scary. And at the same point of time, I'm grateful that I have a very good business partner now. And that time my boss, the founder of Mind Valley, he's he's fantastic in, in understanding of the people. And he was very caring as a person and very caring towards me. So I was able to walk up to him and say, dude, I really hate doing this. Like, I love my work, but I hate my life. Mm -hmm. And he was like, 
I don't want that for you. Absolutely not. So what can we do? And I was like, I think I want to quit. I was like, okay, that is perfectly okay. Can you give me six months? Like, doesn't have to be full time just so I can transition back into CEO. I need a hot minute because I'm just so out of it now. So we can just like, you know, dance this together. Think of it as transitionary time. You don't have to feel like you have to be in office 10 hours a day. Just, you know, let's just dance this off a little bit. Uh, if that's okay with you, and I'm like, absolutely, it's okay with me. Because at that time, I hadn't even told my partner that I was quitting that relationship and that I'm going to backpack and just travel, you know, something silly like that. So I kind of, yeah, then uh, for six months, we did that transition. Very scary six months because after that, it meant I wasn't going to have a source of income, which was a big trigger, right? The good thing was I had saved up. I had saved up because I've always been very good with money, I think. I'd saved up for a rainy day, which I was like, I'm just going to use this for next whatever time until I figure out what I want to do. I did have a lot of confidence that I can build anything, not in sense of as an entrepreneur at that time, but build anything if I worked with a company. Like I was pretty confident that I could get a job and get really successful at it really well and really fast because I'd build all the coaching skills really honestly. I was just a really good coach, so... I could walk into an organization and immediately be a leader just because of my demeanor and how I talk to people and so forth. So I knew I can get back in the game if I wanted to. And I also didn't want to get back into the game until I knew what game I want to be in. The scary part was quitting, not having a source of income, then quitting my relationship, which meant I had nobody to really talk to as well at that time because I had lost my relationship with my friends. And then I just started doing things. I started traveling like just by myself, then I invited two of my friends who were so kind at the time to say, yep, we're going to come down to Europe for 10 days and we're going to bounce between three different countries. Every friend chooses a country for three days and we're going to just travel around and rebuild our friendship. And we did. And they're my most supportive friends at this point. And they're my childhood buddies and we, we rekindled that friendship and that has ever been the most beautiful relationship we have. And during that time was the concept of Evercoach came through to me. I wanted to start it. I told Vision what I was going to start. Vision said, let's partner up. So we ended up partnering up there. So basically everything that now is in my life started to actually come together in place when I was most scared that none of it will be in place. Yeah, a year later, I found Nita, year and a half later, and then we got married a year after that. So, you mm-hmm. know, like my new relationship, my current relationship, my most beautiful relationship happened in just a year and a half from then. So it was like letting go of all the things actually helped me find the things that actually are important to me. How did you spend those six months, mm-hmm. that transitionary period? I know you said you linked up with some friends, right? During yeah. that six months. I always say you got to get ready on the inside. You yeah. knew you had six months where you were not going to be the CEO of Mind Valley. Other than, you know, reconnecting with those friends, which is huge. I've met one of them, Himanshu, right? Himanshu mm-hmm. being one of them, mm-hmm. great guy. What else did you do to get ready on the inside for this new transition? The reason why I'm asking is because so many people, you know, they want to just quit their day job, become a coach, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, well, you don't have to actually quit your day job and then be struggling and anxious about paying your bills and then your creativity is mm-hmm. blocked. You could give yourself six months, right? Yeah. And so what did you learn in those six months? Like, What did you do to get ready on the inside? So... I didn't know what I was going to create at that time, but Mm -hmm. I quit. And the reason, like I said, I had a safety net. So I had saved up enough that I could have lived comfortably for two years without having to worry about money. Yeah, but I've always been very good with money from tax structures to saving, like I... 20-30% 20-30% of all my income always goes into an investment account. So I always have some kind of safety net that I create. And that's why I said money is safety for me, not necessarily something that I spend on. Like I'm not very, you know, uh, I'm not a flashy guy. I have a pretty simple life, uh, pretty simple needs as a person, basic needs really. But 
I used that as a safety net. So I had created that safety where I knew I'll be okay for two years. One and a half to two years, it'll not be a problem unless I do something crazy or a big investment in something. My regular life I could live, which meant I could go back into a job two years later and that would have been fine. So I, I did create a safety net and I do advise anybody who wants to quit to not just quit on a whim. Like you want to quit with some sense of certainty because when certainty is not there, you tend to do stupid things. And so you do impulsive decisions and that doesn't help you build a business either. So there was certainty associated to it. So the six months for me was more about letting go. And the act of letting go helped me find what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. After letting go of the position CEO, the next thing was to let go of my partner. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that over phone or anything like that. She didn't want to come over to Kuala Lumpur where I lived. So I flew to Italy because I also had a really close relationship with her family. And I didn't want the family to know without I wasn't there. So I kind of flew to Italy, where my partner was at the time, and sat with the whole family, told them what I feel and where I am and what needs to happen next. And so I did that. So that was a big, big ordeal for me, really hard for me to do. And then I decided all the other things. So I started cutting alcohol. I started cutting uh, things I was addicted to at the time. Started reconnecting with people. Started traveling by myself. A little bit, again, I was still transitioning, so I couldn't, let's do this, right? It was, I had to phase it out because I was still working. But I started doing a lot of solo travel, which involved just observing people. Mm-hmm. Just like looking at life and trying to learn from joys of people who might be a street vendor, right? And there's a lot to learn from life if you just look at life. Like not try to judge the life that is around you, but look at life mm-hmm. that's around you. You know, like from going all the way to streets of Thailand where, you know, somebody's cooking crickets and people are enjoying eating that, which is so out of world for me or was at the time, to sitting down in different parts of the world and just talking to people in different places in Bali. And I did a lot of Southeast Asia. I did adventures where I would invite people to come if they would be willing to, to a random location and just hang out with them for five, seven days, really get to know them, uh, boys and girls, like men and women do trips with friends, go back to family, hang out with them for seven to 10 days, take them to a resort and just hang out and talk without an agenda, without an outcome. It's just talk so we can get to know each other again. So just like experiencing life and then just traveling, just and walking, sitting by the streets Mm -hmm. and coffee shop and watching people, even Malaysia where I was living, to just take afternoons and evenings and just observing how people live their lives and what they do and you know, like just interactions of human beings and things and angry people, not so angry people, happy people. Just like it looks really dumb from outside because sometimes it'll look like you're just walking for hours. But it's for me, it was like really reintegrating myself to the groundedness of human beings, of we are who we are, including places where you would feel very unsafe walking. And I knew this is an unsafe place to walk, but I would walk there in the night to feel that fear within me to go, oh, this is what fear looks like. This is what fear, not fear in the sense of, oh, I'm scared to be on a camera, but fear for life Mm -hmm. because I could be mugged there. We know that people get mugged there and I'm like, oh, I'm going to walk the street and I know it's scary and yes, I could get mugged, but I want to feel this fear. So there was a lot of suspension of fear that happened. There's also the time, not in those six months, but post that for about a year, year and a half before I met Nita. I scuba dived when I didn't know how to swim. And now I know you can, but at that time it felt like I'm making a life-threatening decision because I don't know how to swim, what if I die? And in water, literally. So bungee jumping, diving from an airplane, everything that felt scary 
and approaching like somebody random on the street or somebody at an event randomly that I don't know. And I was never good at and I'm still not good at, you know, picking up women or, you know, hitting on, like I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. I'm not that guy. I'm not a guy who goes to a girl in You're a bar. You're not a pickup and, artist. Yeah, I'm not no. like, I can't go to a girl no. at a bar and throw a cool line. I'm not that guy. Yeah. But I would do that just because I know it's, bloody scary. And I knew most likely it meant rejection. But I was like, I'm going to get comfortable with that. I'm going to do because it's scary as shit. I want to find what is in me that I don't know. I want to find what really fires me up. And that's where I learned that I really like people. I really just like talking, learning, listening, observing, creating with just people. It doesn't have to mean anything. Like it doesn't have to be a goal to achieve. It's just the experience of being with people is really fun for me. Not in a shallow way though. Like I don't like the very superficial type of conversation, but if it's meaningful, it's interesting, it's something I'm learning or something I'm observing, even I don't have to like interact with them, but I can observe and I'm kind of like capturing how a human being is. It's very interesting to me. And that's why I made coaching a reality. I had always had the idea that coaching industry needs help, but that's how I put it together that I want to be a coach too. I just don't want to help the coaching industry. I want to be a part of the coaching industry. And so I became a coach as I founded Evercoach. So it was a dance of both of them at the same time. But yeah, that's kind of what the year and a half of discovery, you can say, was. And it wasn't that it was done then. Then I met Nita and we discovered together. But that discovery was a little bit different. That was a discovery more of partnership or what the relationship can look like or feel like or be like or what you want to get comfortable with than traditional relationship because none of us are traditional people at this point. Like very few of us are and or we don't want to be. And so we wanted to discover what that even means, what kind of discussions that people would be uncomfortable having can we have, right? How can we be in conflict, but still in love? So those kind of things were the discoveries that were happening at that time. How do you rebond with a family? Like, you know, because I had to rebond with my family at that time, like kind of process some of those conversations that were really difficult for me even then. All of those relationships were being discovered at that time. So it's been a journey. It was a very big journey. I think anybody that is a coach has had some version of that mm-hmm. journey already in their life or are having it right now. Mm-hmm. I think as from a building business perspective or success perspective, I think the sense of clarity that you need is what is it that you're excited about? You just mm-hmm. have that and then chase that. And if you will the business itself kind of figures itself out. Man, Ajit, I really love how, you know, you followed the fear. You were like, what's the thing that feels most threatening to me? And I'm going to go do it. Like, what a useful way of spending six months to a year is to do the things that you don't think that you can do and just be with people. And now because of that, you know, I was just asking you this before, like how the hell do you stand up in front of 2000 people and not get swayed? And I honestly believe, and I do think we should do a whole episode about this because you're a very Mm -hmm. prolific speaker and the way you have such presence up there thing everyone can learn from. But I really just want to point to the fact that that period in your life has shaped so much of who you are today as a coach, as a business owner, as a friend. I met you back in the day. I don't know if you remember. I met you Mm. years ago. You're a very different person today than when I first met you. We don't have to get into that. But I know, I feel a clear distinction between the Ajit that I had met many years ago and Ajit today. Very Mm. different guy. I mean, like fundamentally, your values are the same and and you you have a great heart, but you were different. You know, I was different too. So I think it just shows and I want everyone listening to this. It's like when we're talking about building a life and a business on your terms, the terms can change. 
Yeah, and you get to write the terms and be like, do I want this or not? And that's really what I want to acknowledge you for. It's like, you didn't consult with anybody. You were like, okay, I'm not going to do this. And you had a beautiful conversation with your business partner, Vision, at the time. And he was willing to give you the space. So, you know, you were honest. You said it out loud. You gave yourself and, you know, and you also maintained your integrity, right? Because you yeah. didn't want to just dip out. So th- I want everyone hearing this too. Like, just look at this entire thing that you've shared. There was so much integrity for yourself and others in this process. And I do think... Think that's why you are as successful as you are because you still led with that value of like, you don't need to burn it down to build. Mm-hmm. But there was clear things that you did, like cut out things in your life that just weren't fueling you anymore. You know, yeah. like the alcohol, the this week, whatever else. So I just want to say thank you for sharing how you've built your life and business on your terms. Thank you, Vasvi. All right, Ajit, I would love to pick your brain and hear your thoughts on some outdated norms that are still prevalent in the online world about success. Oh, what are those norms? They were outdated always. I think what happens or what society does is there's a standard that we set to success. And that mm-hmm. may be a particular kind of body for a person. It could be mm-hmm. amount of wealth. It could be the type of relationship. And based on the container that you're in, you would have a different definition of success. For example, a lot of people would count success if you were religious on how is your religious practice and how is your family, how mm-hmm. intact it is, right? Another context, the container of somebody who is suffering in health and well-being or their family is always suffered in health and well-being, their definition of success might be how healthy you are. Some of the times it is very prominently and very dominantly one of the biggest measures of success, at least in the American society, actually globally, except for maybe Europe, is how much money you have. In Europe, I think it's kind of looked down upon from what I've understood, but anywhere else it'll be like, how much money do you have? Are you a millionaire or a billionaire or a multi-billionaire or whatever the thing is, right? So which is also why we make somebody who is financially successful as a hero of the story. So success is pretty subjective to what is the container or the context of the conversation. I grew up really poor, so for a big part of my life, I believed success is having money. Then I had crisis in my relationship, so I moved into a container of having a great relationship is success for me. And then uh, there was a question that questioned my health and well-being. So now if you ask me, I would say having the most amazing health is success for me. So it very much shifts from the context and container. So success dominantly is very much informed by the container and context Mm -hmm. that you have. And then there is the whole paradigm of individuals settling because they feel success for whatever container and context they live in, they can't have it. So, for example, individuals would think, oh, you know, money doesn't really give you happiness or money is not success. It's mostly from people who don't have money or who are not able to generate income despite the efforts that they might have made. It's not to diss on anyone, but there's basically that statement is usually from the person that has either made not any money or somebody who has made a lot of money and realized there are other definitions of success. Like, for example, my definition of success changed from money to relationship to well-being as a person. It doesn't mean that I have less money. If I would have less money, I would probably still have to change back into getting that amount of money or more so. So definition of success is very contextual. It's very much from the container that you're looking at. And I think the default that everybody defaults to in most of the world, not all of it, is how much money do you have? And do you have more money than the next guy? And that definition is mostly driven or mostly because of people don't have enough money or they don't have enough money to live in a way that they would want to or they live in a competitive world in their minds. It's not the world is not comparative. In our minds, we go, 
that person richer than me. My ego tells me I must beat that person. Or that person richer than me and they commented something, I must put them down by making more money than them. And stuff like that, which is all ego-driven, mind-driven. But I think that's the most dominant success definition. At the same point, it pretty much variates from what your circumstance is and where you're sitting and what your perspective to life is and you suddenly redefine success based on that. So one of the things that we see often in the online world about success is how many figures we make per month, right? People are like, I brought in six figures this month. I brought in this. And I remember, you know, when this became normalized in the online world, to keep like showing hashtag receipts and showing proof. And I was like, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. This was just something that people were doing is like being flashy, showing all the things that they had, the luxurious lifestyle. And I remember when I was maybe four years five years into the coaching industry, and this started to become a trend and a norm to start just talking about how much money we're making per month, which is fine. To talk about money, it started to feel like, oh, I'm not successful unless I'm doing that per mm-hmm. month. So I'd love to hear your take on this as someone who's been doing this for a while. And you're not the kind of guy who goes out there and just talks about how much money you make, which is fine if you did, right? But I would love to hear your take on that. So if you ever meet a really wealthy person, they would never talk about how much money they make because they're actually making it. Most people that talk about how much money they make, I'm not saying everyone, but most people who talk about how much money they make and they're just blabbering about it are people who actually don't make that much money. Mm -hmm. And so they are proving it to themselves. And by putting out that receipt or putting out that statement, Mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're attracting other people who have the desire to make that money. It's not a good practice overall as humanity. I don't think we should talk about how much money we make to boast about it. It's it's not because you shouldn't boast about what you have. Absolutely boast about it. But if you're putting it on social, if you're putting it out of context, if you're putting it out to generate more money, I think there is something flawed about it. There's an inherent desire of acceptance that you need. It's somehow you want to validate to yourself that you are rich is why you're trying to talk about how much money you make. I've met the wealthiest of people. I've met really successful companies. They never talk about their revenues. They never talk about their investments. They never talk about their money, except if the container is that. Like if we are actually discussing revenues, of course, then they will talk about revenues because we are actually talking about it. But if we're not talking about it, the wealthiest people would say statements like, we are comfortable. Yeah, we do okay. We do well for ourselves. And you, if you dig down deeper of what that person is doing, they might own five houses, six, uh, you know, this kind of land cruisers or whatever, but they are not going to put a photo of their car on social media. The wealthiest people don't do that. And the reason is because they understand that that's not how they get acceptance from society. That's not the acceptance they're looking for even from society. The person that is posting about their receipts is a person (laughs) who who really needs you to acknowledge them and see them for what they're not. Mm -hmm. Because their receipts are not that. And plus the receipts are a lie. Like what profit is what's important, not what you made. Made Making means nothing in the game of business. You could have a really high revenue and no profits whatsoever as a company. And we meet such companies all the time who do incredible amount of revenues and their profit margins are 5%. So good luck making a $10 million with a 5% margin is as good as a million dollar business that makes 50% margin. So it's like, uh, it's not necessarily that your receipts are any value to society. But I do think it's a silly thing that people do. It's a silly thing for validation. Mm -hmm. And I would steer away from anyone whose marketing pitch is, look how much money I make. And so you should follow me. If somebody has that pitch, they probably don't make that much money. They probably don't keep that money. Mm -hmm. They probably have a really bad relationship with money. And they're probably somebody that you don't want to follow. 
But I want to do another kind of a cliff note to anyone that's following a person that talks about money by telling a story. Not, not just one person, but the several individuals have met like this at this point is these are individuals who would talk about their beautiful bags or their beautiful cars, or beautiful houses. They'll talk about how they're building million dollar businesses. And I've been fortunate to know certain of these individuals, fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to call it, <laughs> but to know such individuals. And what I've often found is that while they have the right photos, if you actually look at their bank account, if you actually talk about their real problems, you would see they're incredibly in debt. They have so much debt that is unimaginable. Like for at least for me, my soul, I'm like, why are you in so much debt? Because to flash that lifestyle, more likely than not, they created products that were garbage, really. And so what they did is because of these garbage products that they put out in the world, they got the lifestyle and then they had to refund those products or they had to borrow money from the government or borrow money from the banks. And now they're in debt. And so many of them are like that. And that's why they disappear every few years. Anybody that flashes money, look at them five years later, they are nowhere to be found or they're in the next market pitching the next way of making money. And the reason is because they never made money in the first place. Their money is to tell you that you can make money and then run away with that money to another industry. So I feel it's become less in the coaching industry because it's not so much of an opportunity market. Now the real players have come in and they've stayed for long enough that the idiots that had a flash in the pan has gone to crypto at this point. But if you ever see one like that, just literally turn around and run away. That person is going to burn themselves in five years and they're going to burn you right now. That's literally what happens with every person that is so... It's not about being driven by money. You could be driven by money. That's okay with me if that's your desire. I was driven by money at some point in my life. But to use that to engage someone who is broke and say, give me your last dollar is just bad karma. It's just bad practice. It's just not good for society. So my invitation would be, is if somebody's really talking about it, let's get real with that person. Tell them, show me your actual bank statement. Don't give me that Stripe account where I can see your revenue because I don't see expenses. That's bullshit. How much money you made. That's not how much money you made. That's your revenue. Show me your bank account. Show me your actual profit. Show me your cost per advertising, cost per lead. Show me how your product or your clients have won, not how you won, because I know you won by taking my money, but show me how your clients won. And if they don't have those case studies, run as fast as you can. There's a whole company I remember, and I used to kind of be like impressed with their marketing because this person was, he had a really cool domain name. I was really impressed because uh, he would have this three-hour webinar that he would run for enrolling people into becoming a particular type of coach or consultant. And it was insane because I was like, wow, this guy advertises everywhere. How is this person doing this? And of course, they were talking about money, how much money, that this beautiful house, look, I live in New York, I make this much money, my house is on this 29th floor or whatever, the 100th floor, or whatever, it was. look at my cars, all that bullshit that one would think is totally a scam. And so, well, like, maybe this guy is good because I saw their ads for like two years straight or something. And then, of course, recently I kind of heard about their story where they were sued because they were lying with their teeth out, that they're out of business and that nobody wants to do business with them because they were just lying. So be very, very careful with this, you know, this perception of if they have a nice car, they actually know what they're talking about. If they have a nice car, they usually will not post a photo of that car mm -hmm. because it's like, I don't post a photo of my house. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to come over to my house if I don't yeah. know you on my social media. I, no, that's not what you do. That's just 
like anybody who understands money would not tell you to do that. So just be very, very mindful. I think it's very disgraceful for people who do this and it's mm-hmm. really hurtful to society overall. Sorry, I know I went on a tangent no. on that, but I, it's mm-hmm. such an important and unfortunate thing that happens. I'm really glad that you actually said it because someone needs to set people straight that it's actually very tacky to be posting, and I'm just going to say this, posting photos of your shoes, your clothes, your bags. Like, are you that desperate that you're going to lead with material things? For me, it seems very like, it feels showy. I don't know if that's a cultural thing, but for me, it's like, if I have a nice thing, I'm going to have a nice thing. I don't need to use that to lure somebody in. It's like, look, I have nice things. Come work with me. I have the money to buy nice things, probably on credit. You know what I mean? Most likely on credit. So I'm really glad that you're saying this because new coaches, even seasoned coaches, if you're sucked into this trap of looking at other people and being like, but they have a YSL bag, they have red bottom shoes. That does not mean anything. It means absolute jack shit. You could get all of that in credit, especially if you live in America. Let me be very, very real. You can demonstrate a quality life or a very rich life without having any Mm -hmm. money in your bank account. Like you need to have a little bit and a good credit score. And you can get an American Mm -hmm. Express card, run $50,000 or $100,000 on it and show you the fanciest lifestyle possible. It's not worth falling for. And like you said, if somebody needs to show a photo of their bag to feel validated or tell about their manifestation powers or <laughs> tell about their how much money they make, they have a hole in their heart and their soul and they need to fill that, but you don't have to pay the cost of it, right? They have a desire to be accepted, be wanted. You don't have to put your money for that hole to be filled. They need to see a therapist. You don't have to do mm-hmm. that for them. So my invitation for you as a coach, as a person, and if I do this at any point, call me out as well. I would never do that. You would that. never I even have do never this. never done that. You would never do this. But <laughs> if I ever do that, if I get to a place, remind me that I have gotten to a place in my life where I have a hole in my heart and I need to go see a therapist. I'm that real about this. And sometimes we need that external check, right? I don't know if I'm doing something wrong sometimes. Like somebody has to tell me. Hopefully my friends will tell me before you will tell me. But if... Anybody outside of that goes, hey, Ajit. And I've told that to people who come to my seminars. If you think I am bigger than you while you meet me, tell me that on my face. So I will remember that we are no different. We're just in different parts of the journey. I may be your coach and your guide right now, but we are no different. You are as human as I am, which is why I'm one of those guys that after my talk, I don't run on backstage. I am with the audience. When I go to an event or when we do our own events, some of the fellow authors that speak on stage with me would go, Ajit, don't go to the party, man. It's like the selfie fest. i like, and so what? And so what? These people feel, these individuals, these clients, these people who are attending the event, feel that we are connected. Somehow we are family and we should take a photo together. And I would fight that instead of saying, no, we are family. We are humans. You're a human. I'm a human. Let's not be disrespectful to each other. That definitely is a no-no. But... If it takes a hundred selfies, I literally need us to pull me out of a event because she was like, it is almost 400 selfies that you've taken. At this point, it's been five <laughs> hours that you've been here in a party. Can we go home? You have to speak tomorrow. Like she had to come give me a time check because she was concerned that next day I won't be able to deliver. And she was right. I should have stepped out maybe an hour before that. But that's what real work looks like. Real work is not showing how big you are. Real work is to remember who you are. I'd love to hear from you as more and more careers are being built online. What's the biggest change you want to see in this space when it comes to success metrics? Like what would be your ideal Instagram post about success? 
I think success should be, and this is a quote by, I think it's Neil Long Walsh. We shouldn't quote him all the time. The biggest flex is not the money in your bank account. The biggest flex is the number of lives that you've impacted or the life you've changed, something like that. I might be butchering the quote, but the essence is this. And I think that is the biggest flex. There is nothing that we came with when we came to this planet and there's nothing that we're taking away when we walk away from this planet. The only thing that we get to have is the experience of life. You can choose that experience the way you want. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't make money. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. You should get success in financial terms as much as in impact terms. But at the same point in time, just watch yourself in the joy and satisfaction that you get when you experience something that means something to you. And that includes being able to help someone, doing something kind, being able to coach someone and help someone live a better life. Look for the joy there. And then look for the joy when you get $10,000. And chase both of them if both of them give you equal amount of joy. If something gives you more joy, chase that more. We didn't come on this planet to see who made the most money. I think we came to this planet to live the best experience. That's my understanding of life as of now, is to enjoy this experience for what is and to the greatest level we can. And to enjoy the experience for what is and to have it for the greatest experience that we can have, we must enjoy it. And for that, we must do most purposeful work. We must make all the money that we need to make. We must enjoy our families, our friends, and our loves. And we must do everything that gives us joy in that moment and check in on that and go, okay, is this joy or not? And if it is not, then don't do it. If it is, then do more of it. And I think when you do things for joy, somehow money just comes anyways. So I know that's a big factor for everyone because money does buy us things. Money does buy these experiences. Money does make us feel safe. But I feel like chasing money never does that. Chasing things that give us joy do help you make more money. Just because you you do things in more congruence with you. You can do it more easily, more frequently, more joyfully, more unapologetically. And so it just creates much more wealth. I'm thinking about the person listening right now who whose definition of success has been passed down to them culturally or by their family and by the society. And, you know, so... I appreciate that you've shared the evolution of your own success metrics. Like first it was money when you were in your 20s. Then it became maybe relationships and friendships and connection. Now it's family and your children and deepening your relationship with your wife and expanding and being more of you. But for that person who does not have their own definition of success because they've been brainwashed and conditioned, how does someone cultivate the confidence to choose their unique life path and not second guess if they pick the wrong direction. It's a very interesting question. I think the curiosity or the interest that one must have is the discovery of self. And if you discover who you truly are, there's never... See, we all have an internal compass and it's there. It's not that it's not there. What happens is this compass is then layered up with a lot of beliefs that people give you. right? So the compass, even when it's pointing north it feels like it's not working and feels like we should go to this other direction. So even when we know in our knowing what we should be doing, we do what somebody else tells us to do, right? So it's not that we don't know what our definition of success, pretty much anybody that's listening to this and beyond knows exactly what success would be for them if they would just listen to what their internal compass says. What happens, and I feel like we borrow a lot, and because of that, what happens is they will watch a video of some idiot who's sporting their car and you would go, oh, maybe I want that car. Like somebody saying, oh, I have this beach lifestyle. They'll go, oh, I want this beach lifestyle. Oh, somebody's traveling so much. Oh, I want that. And what happens is it corrupts that compass. 
Because mm-hmm. the compass is telling you exactly what gives you joy, exactly what success is. But you're now chasing all these different ideas that are around you and now you're confused and you feel like, oh, I don't know what success is. Mm-hmm. And you know what success is. You know exactly what success is for you if you would just listen. And once you know what success is for you, then it does take a lot of practice to stay course. And that that does require a lot of self-coaching because what will happen then is society will still impose the definition of success based on societal terms. It's not going to listen to your definition of success. It's going to tell its definition of success. And so you would constantly have the compass showing you where to go, but somebody else is going to say, oh, the compass is wrong. Go this way. Go this way. It's about how much you fortify your mind at that point to say, no, I'm going to stick to what really success feels like to me. And most of us, if you really lean into, and I'm not saying it's true for everyone, but most of us would find our success is some function of love and some function of service or contribution. It's some function of growth. These are kind of the functions that usually I've found when we truly go our north or our success. It's some function of this. It's to say, I want to be more loved or feel more love or create more love. Or it may be, I want to be of more service to humanity. I want to contribute. I want to do something useful. I want to create something useful. It's some function of, I want to become a better version of myself. I want to find a better version of myself. I want to find my truer version of myself. It's some version of this. I want to find my purpose. All of these are just functions of these three parameters. And I feel these three parameters are all that is that eventually success would point to. Now, what you may do or may feel like, oh, to get love from my family and from the society, I must make money. Now, that's you layering up what love actually or what will give you that love. But what you're really looking for is love, right? So if you know your compass, if you know what is the determinant, let's say it's one of these three, and you chase that and not worry so much about how you will get it, you will find better ways to get it. Right, So if you do want love, like I know my big driver of doing what I do as service is because I love being loved up by my students. I love being acknowledged for it. I love when somebody comes up to me and tells a story of how it impacted their life or bring their kid along and say, my kid watches this videos with you or sends me a video about it. That is way, like you could give me $1,000 or $100,000 and give me that one video. I'm more happy with that one video because that's where my true understanding of love has gotten me to now is I'd rather be loved by people for me who I am versus be loved by people because I have a lot of money. Mm. You know, I love your approach. And I think we can even revisit the question that I even asked you because one of the things I said was not second guess if they pick the wrong direction. I actually don't even like saying wrong direction because what I hear you saying is when you're coming from a place of love, the way I interpreted what you said is when you're coming from a place of love and contribution, you can't really go in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. How can you actually go in the wrong direction if you're following a contribution, if you're following love? I'm thinking about the time where I went to culinary school. I went to plant-based culinary school. I needed a change. I was burnt out from the coaching industry. This is two years being in the industry. I'm like, I'm burnt out. I was 30 years old. And I went to culinary school, plant-based culinary school. I wanted to Mm -hmm. cook. I never became a chef, Ajit, but I learned how to cook. And I love to cook and I love to feed people. You know, my dad always used to feed me. And so one could say like, boss, you took the wrong direction. You didn't do anything with your culinary degree. I go, I cook for myself. I can cook for friends. I love food even more. I appreciate new ways of doing things even more. So I just want to say that for any of you who are scared to make the wrong decision, right? And take Ajit's approach, which if you're coming from a place of joy, love, service, you can't really make the wrong decision or head down the wrong direction, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And be comfortable with 
how universe shows up in response to that. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that, I mean, now I'm blessed that I do events, thousands of people, I mm-hmm. speak in front of thousands of people, hundreds of people come to my own events and I get to experience that love and joy that I've contributed in somebody else's life. But when I started, that wasn't the case. But mm-hmm. I still operated from my meter, my compass of joy, my compass of saying, what is it that I want to do in society? And sometimes it'll happen for you fast and sometimes it'll happen for you slow. But know that if you are in the path or in direction of what success really is for you and if it's in alignment with the truest self, mm-hmm. you wouldn't stop to wonder and you wouldn't stop to go, oh, am I doing the right thing? Because mm-hmm. everything is the right thing, mm-hmm. right? Everything is in service to what truly success is for you. And I think that's the grandest and the best change. So here's the thing, right? This is great in theory. And I want to talk to the person who maybe isn't fully booked yet, right? The coach who isn't fully booked yet, they're experiencing different levels of doubt and fear. How do you suggest that they optimize their life for joy and not productivity in this phase? So I I want to give a different frame to think about it. So Mm -hmm. when we think about productivity, we usually think about time management, Mm -hmm. right? And time management is a very popular concept, and it does work. I mean, time can bend to your needs, absolutely. And at the same point in time, what I've recognized for myself and for clients and for the person that's listening to it is that in a day, it's a lot less about managing time, it's a lot more about managing energy. Mm -hmm. If you really want to be productive in a day, it's not about what you can do in a block of time. It's about how you do in that block of time. Mm-hmm. It's not about what, it's about how. Mm-hmm. It's about do you approach that act in the energy that that act needs to be approached in. See, to build a coaching business, to book yourself solid, time management wise, all you have to do is wake up in the morning, start calling people. Mm-hmm. You'll be booked up in like two days, mm-hmm. right? If you made 30 calls, 40 calls, you would find two clients. Guaranteed, try it tomorrow. The problem will be you'll not make 40 calls. Try it. And it's not because you are not capable of creating 40 calls, it's because time management doesn't work. It's energy management that works. Mm -hmm. If you're in the energy and the vibration that allows you to make those 40 calls, you will make Mm -hmm. the 40 calls, right? Because you're feeling empowered to make those 40 calls. Mm -hmm. So my curiosity wouldn't be thinking about, oh, but I have done productivity hacks and you know, Mr. X says, block your time and then do this and this time, do this and this time. Observe your time management right now and see how much you actually get done, right? And you will go, I actually don't do the shit that I actually need to do. (laughs) Half the time I'm anxious, I'm concerned, I'm inactive, I'm browsing through social media, and then later in the day I beat myself up because I'm like, I didn't really get Mm. done what I wanted to get done. It's not productivity that's stopping you, it's your energy management that's stopping you. Mm -hmm. If you can manage your energy, you can get the same amount of work that you may take five hours to do in like 30 minutes. Because building a business is not difficult. Mm -hmm. It may not be that you can build a million dollar business if you're starting from zero and Two months, that's probably not possible. But to get successful enough that you can pay your bills and live happily, it's very easy. It's very easy. Mm -hmm. Get to the ground, start doing the shit, right? Undercharge so you can charge really a lot of people. Get them on board, get them success. Your business will be ready in three to five months from now. Not difficult at all. Not difficult. The problem will be most of the people won't do that. They won't go out. They won't go ask people for money. They would find resistance in approaching people. They'll not make an offer. They will don't write their package. They won't send out that message. They won't pick up the phone call or make the phone call. And all of that has nothing to do with time management. Mm -mm. All of that has to do everything with energy management. So ask yourself what energy you start your day with and how you continue to contain that energy at the highest vibration possible. If you do, you would never wonder how to build your coaching business because coaching or any business is very, very, very easy to build. Mm -hmm. If you do what you said, you're going to do. 
So I think it would be fun for both of us to share some of our favorite energy management tips. So what is something that you do to sustain your energy throughout the day? So mine is a very regulated day. So I'm mm-hmm. almost, unless if I'm sick or something happened the previous night, I have two young kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I don't get enough sleep. I'm pretty much always operating at 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, and the reason for that is because pretty much even in a day like this, it's optimized to the T where I know what I need to eat. Let's say, for example, right before this mm-hmm. conversation, I was like, okay, I have a 25 gram protein yogurt that's sitting right there that I need to eat because I know at this point, I am going to dip energy. I've given a lot. Mm-hmm. We had done two interviews at that point. I like, my energy is dropping to 80% or 70%. What is it that's going to pick it up? I need the right kind of food. It's not just a food. It's not, let me get the best meal or reward myself because I've done two podcasts mm-hmm. now. It's what brings energy up, not drains energy because food can drain energy if you eat yeah. the wrong foods. So that's one thing. Find out the foods that fuel you. Mm-hmm. And they usually tend to be high in fiber or high in protein mm-hmm. or both or a blend of both. And they usually would give you energy and not suck the energy out of you because they're just better for your energy management overall. Uh, movement is a great energy booster. In the morning when I came, I wasn't at 100%. I had a little conflict at the house. My brain was all over the place. I said, I'm going to drop my bag here. I'm going to go run for 30 minutes. I went out, ran for 30 minutes. By the time I came back, I was clear in my head. I was back at 100%. I did an hour call with 500 people, right? So you need to find what are your tools, right? Mm-hmm. So my tool is working out, running, walking, listening mm-hmm. to the books that I like, audiobooks especially. It is uh, things like the right kind of foods. Mm-hmm. It could be breathing. It could be closing my eyes and just being with myself and listening to my thoughts for five minutes. There are many different tools and I've spread them out and my entire day is constructed around that. Watching something that is either intellectual or funny. Mm-hmm. And that boosts my creativity and I get back into the same state of 100%. And so it depends on what time of day and what day mm-hmm. it is as to what I need to be able to sustain a particular energy level. And the more you manage that, so now what I found is I have less conflicts at the end of the day if I do that through the day Mm -hmm. because I am at 100% when I reach home. So I'm not easily angry. I'm not easily frustrated. Mm -hmm. I still do get angry and frustrated. I'm not saying I'm God, I'm not. uh, But it's less likely Mm -hmm. and it's slower burn. Like it'll take me a lot longer to get to that place versus if I didn't manage my energy through the day. So we all must have our own energy management tools that we need to have, but it's very different person to person. So I'd love to share one of my tools is, you know, I use a calendar. I'm huge on the calendar because it's a visual representation of how the hell I'm going to spend my energy, right? So for example, I knew today going in, I was going to be sitting with you for a few hours, right? You better believe I did not talk to anyone before this. Mm -hmm. I did not talk to a single person before this. I was very quiet with myself. I think I had one cup of coffee. I had hard-boiled eggs, grapes, and a little fiber pita that I absolutely love. I don't like to eat too much before this. I like to be just enough to have my blood sugar be steady. And then after we get off, so I've conserved my energy for this because it's Mm -hmm. a lot of back and forth. I got to be on point. I'm thinking of other questions. And after this, I'm not going to talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk. I mean, that's for me to rejuvenate because I've just outpoured so much. So silence Mm -hmm. fills me, right? Mm -hmm. I'll probably get in the car, listen to some music, get myself back up. Music helps me. Mm -hmm. So I love looking at every single day and be like, how many people am I talking to? Tomorrow, I believe I have like 13 people on my calendar because I'm in the middle of my own launch and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay. So then I know looking at towards like the Thursday, Friday, like, you know, The other days, I don't want to pack as much. Mm -hmm. I look at my calendar and I'm like, okay, I have like two maybe heavy days, two to three heavy days, and then the rest have to be kind of light. So I look at it week to week or day to day, you know? So I think it's just really important that we're real with ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? I know 
listen, after five, six o'clock, don't ask me to do anything intellectual. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't ask me to be on point about like, I need to shut down after that. But if it required me to do so, if someone said, I need to have a call with you at this time, and it was important and I had to, I would find a way to sustain my energy to be okay at that time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I love hearing from you as well. When you have those back-to-back days and you're feeling like, oh my God, how am I going to get it all done? Have you ever had those days? Like, how am I going to get this all Not done? Not anymore. I used to Not have anymore? them, but now my days, like like you, it's, yeah. it's structured. I could have as many calls, but I have enough gaps pretty yeah. much every day mm-hmm. in my day. And by gaps, it simply means 30 minutes, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. 15 minutes between things. And then I have space between things, then I'm fine. Because it's basically, I'm going to do something that fuels me back to 100%. So I could go on till 10 in the night and it wouldn't bother me. Because now I operate at 100%. I think the key word that you just said that I want everyone hearing is it's space. You mm-hmm. give yourself space. How can you really manage your energy if you don't even have the space to feel how you're feeling? So you know yourself mm-hmm. and your energy levels enough that you're able to do that. So let me ask you this. When it comes to how you work with clients and when you're talking to clients about their own energy management when they're starting out as coaches, what are some of the biggest struggles that new coaches deal with when it comes to their energy management, even seasoned? The most battles for a new coach or even a seasoned coach is in their mind, Mm -hmm. in their mind, in their soul, because they feel like they're behind. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they create narratives and stories about how they're behind. They create narratives and stories around how they're not good enough. They create narratives and stories about how they will never get to live their dreams or they don't get to live their dreams, how somebody else is ahead. So jealousy creeps in, not enoughness creeps in, fears creep in, all those things creep in and then they live in that state for most of the day. So consciously or unconsciously, they're operating from those places and they may not recognize it, but they are living in that space. It's almost like, you know, if I took this glass of water and it had a hole at the bottom or maybe somewhere in here, and you go, well, I've filled in my tank. You see, Ajit, I slept really well. But that hole is constantly leaking. Good luck with managing your energy. You have this hole that is always at the bottom that is just leaking, leaking, leaking. You got nothing left every single day because you have let that fear, that concern, that not enoughness, that, that whatever that is for you, jealousy, to just seep out all that energy slowly but certainly happening unconsciously for you. Which is why, like I said, that's why most people don't think about energy management. They think about time management. They think time is the enemy. They go, I don't have enough time. Versus saying, if you're operating at that depleted state, good luck having all the time in the world. I've I've met people who have all the time. They're doing this full time and they still don't get anywhere in their coaching careers, right? It's not about time. Everything is about your energy. So, And by energy, it's not some woo-woo energy. I'm talking about like physically, mentally, spiritually, are you aligned with what you want to create and are you feeling 100%? Think about yourself. Most of the people will wake up in the morning and say, that's my most creative time, the first two hours, the first hour of the day, right? And that's because for all night, if you slept well, you were refueling your tank. You were at 100% when you wake up. Now, if you have a good morning routine, you might be at 110%, right? But the day you start doing the day, and if you don't have a good energy management system, you deplete that 110% to 100%, then 90%, 80%, 70%, 60%. So by the time you hit lunch, you're operating at 40%. Good luck with trying to do anything creative at that point. And our job, especially as coaches, is all creative. It's all creative. It's all creativity. It's all creating things out of nothing, 
really. Even when we're working with a client, our presence is our creativity. It, the reason why you need to be so present is because you need to be creative when you're working with a person to say, how am I going to tackle this for them? Or how am I going to work with them for this? And for that, you need creativity. You need presence. You need energy to be at 100%. So not having that practice and blaming time for anything, I think is, is a counter approach. Time is not your enemy. Time actually bends to whatever we need. If you want to do five phone calls, you can do it in an hour. You don't need five hours for that. If you're in the right energy, you will pick up the phone, you'll make the call, it'll take 10 minutes, you'll enroll a client. I know it feels impossible, but that does happen. When push comes to shove, we've all done things that were impossible until the moment we had to get it done. We just didn't have a choice. But what we do is we negotiate with time, we negotiate with what's possible. And because we do that, of course we don't get it done. Don't negotiate. Just say, this is the time I have. I'm going to operate 100%. I'm going to find how I operate 100%. And then I'm going to get it done in the limited amount of time that I may be allocating to myself for this because I want to live a whole life. I feel like we've talked about this on another episode, but we once talked about how people stretch out their work and they'll block out an hour for something that might only take 15 minutes. Honestly, and one of the things I started doing in my calendar, and I'd love people to maybe see if this works for you, is I will block out a time to work on a task. And then on Sunday, I look at my calendar and I look at that task and I'm like, do I really need an hour for that? Come on, like I could knock that out in 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. If I just sit and do that one thing and I have found that I have less chunks of time being blocked out on my calendar because I've shortened the amount of time that I'm telling myself it takes to do it. Because when I'm like, okay, it doesn't have to be 45 minutes. Let's see if I can get this shit done in 25. What is that going to take? What kind of music is it going to take? What kind of vibe? How am I going to, what time of day? And so I get that stuff done. And that's just another way for us to kind of work against what our mind is telling us. Like, oh, this is going to take forever. I also want to ask you, how important is it for coaches? You know how I feel about this because you know me quite well. How important do you think it is for coaches, doesn't matter where they're at, to have creative outlets? Other than coaching. (laughs) Oh, you need, yeah, yeah, you need, absolutely, you need many creative outlets, not just one. Mm -hmm. And it's because we were talking about, I don't know if it was this podcast or a different one, but we were just talking about how your coaching success is more or equally defined by the experience of life you've lived. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a life, it's very unlikely that theoretically, just because you're really good at understanding the mind, that you would be a very effective coach. You may think you're a very effective coach, but you're not nearly as effective as somebody who has lived life. Because when they talk versus when you talk, you would hear the difference. Mm-hmm. Because there is nothing that trumps life experience. There's conviction. Is, yeah, there's conviction. conviction, there's certainty, mm-hmm. there's a certain level of mastery that comes mm-hmm. when you have life behind you and you're Mm -hmm. not theoretically speaking about things. You actually practiced it. There's a difference between that. And that's what you would listen when you listen to two different people saying the same thing. You go, I resonate with that person and did not resonate. It's nothing else, but it's because the other person probably lived it way more than the first person. You heard it and really understood it, took the time to really understand it. And that's why our creative outlets are so important because it allows you to live instead of just passively consume and theorize things. Theorizing things is great and is a part of creativity in a way, but practically it is so much more powerful when you actually practically do something. And that it, creative mm-hmm. outlets allow you to do that. It's like an opinion. Everyone has one. Everyone can have a theory. And I want to recommend anyone listening to this, you know, get out there, try new things. I wanted to share, you know, in my coaching practice, I wanted to use different approaches with clients, okay? I knew I had that. But for me personally, last year was really about me tapping into my own creative desires. So as you know, I went into acting and voiceover work. Do you know that because I did that for myself, now when I work with clients, I do role play with them and I have them play with their voices Mm -hmm. to find their bold speaking voice? 
because I did that in my personal life with voiceover work. We have to train mm. our voices. Mm-hmm. So I want everyone hearing and watching this is like, go live your life. Go do the things that you want to do. And it's not about being a master at it, but go do it. Go suck. <laughs> go suck at it. Go make the mistake. Go see mm-hmm. what it's like. And you use that experience to then help you in your content and then help you work with your clients. Because when your client's up against something, you're like, oh yeah, I remember when I was brand new at doing this thing. Oh, here's what worked for me. Instead of, oh, here's this tool that I can give you. Mm-hmm. A tool that you just have written on paper versus actually using that tool for yourself. Absolutely. And, yeah, 100%. Yeah. The creativity is very, very, and it doesn't matter what you're creative mm-hmm. about. Just find it and you'll find there's a connection point. So one thing I want to ask you, because I know we were talking about energy management still is, you know, you said it all starts in the mind for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It, I mean, our mind is our central hub, right? Mm-hmm. What do you tell yourself on days when you know you have a long day? You know, dad, husband, business owner, all the things. What do you tell yourself when you're like, I'm tired? And I don't know, think I tell myself I'm tired. You don't tell yourself you're much. tired. Okay. Yeah, because again, it's what is tired? I could say right now I'm tired and quit what I'm doing or I can tell myself I'm pumped about what I'm doing and find a way or if my body feels tired it's a different thing than actually being tired right so or by thinking you're tired right if your body is tired it's a physical signal there's no point ignoring it if your body is tired go to sleep there's no need to negotiate that either because you're going to be not productive you're going to be somebody who is terrible to everybody else go take a nap like nap or go to sleep that's as simple as that so physically being tired is different but thinking I am tired in your mind, you know, you can tell yourself anything. And based on what you tell yourself, it will define who you become more of, right? And I used to tell myself, oh, I'm, I've had a long day, I'm tired, right? And the more I told myself that, guess what happened the next day? I started believing I am tired by the end of the day. The more I started telling myself, I'm not tired, unless I'm physically tired. If I'm physically tired, I would go, babe, I'm physically tired, I'm going to go take go to sleep. Like that's literally, that's the only thing you can do if you're physically tired. Or drink caffeine if you really have to push through something, which is highly not recommended. But let's say you do have to push through something, take caffeine, cut off that uh, neural receptor that says your body is tired and then go for it, finish whatever you had to, and then definitely go to sleep again. But that's the only kind of tiredness that I think actually exists. Everything else, our mind is so powerful that you could keep doing a thousand things after you think or you told yourself that you're tired. You're not tired. Most of the time you are defeated, not tired. You feel like you've done a lot and you haven't gotten what you wanted to get or you're not where you want to get to. You're not tired. You feel defeated. You feel lost, you feel concerned. And all of those things can be regulated and manipulated and worked on by having a clearer sense of direction. Like if you have a clearer sense of purpose, if you have a clearer sense of desire, which is just the certainty of where I'm going, if you have that, you will not be tired. The problem is you don't have that. And so what happens is because you don't have a way forward or the path you're going to, the only thing you look at is the path that you have been to. And that makes you feel defeated because you're not where you want to go Because honestly, you don't even know where you want to go. You kind of have a rough idea of it, right? But define it clearly and you will find there's enough motive and enough motivation in you because of that, that you will not feel tired. You're feeling tired because you're looking at your past going, oh, you know, I've been trying to do this business for six months. Oh, you feel, it's not tired. You're defeated. You feel defeated. You feel like you're not going to get to where you want to get to. And that's not true, first of all. That's the story your mind is telling you to stop getting you to do hard things. And doing hard things is how we grow as individuals, right? So you have to do hard things. And so the curiosity or interest that one must have is when your mind is telling you you're tired, is to really go, what am I tired of? 
And am I really tired or is this something else? Because again, as emotions as well, we tend to lean into four or five big emotions that we are most commonly used to saying. And so we call them as our emotions. So you might be frustrated, but you might call it anger still because anger is a common word that we all use. And that might be the case with tiredness, that you might be saying you're tired, but you're frustrated, you are, you are defeated, you feel not good enough. And all of those are other emotions, not tiredness. Once you know what it is truly, now you can go, okay, why am I feeling defeated? Have I put myself through an expectation filter and said, oh, I must have my successful business in six months? Well, that's an expectation you're setting. It's not, there's nobody who can validate if it's a good timeline or a bad timeline. So you just came up with that shit, right? So you could say six months or you could say six years, right? It's all arbitrary. There's no science to it. There's nobody who can put science to it. There is no science to any business's growth. There have been businesses that have been in business, like literally I was talking to this company who were 20 years in business. And after 20 years, they decided to change some version of what they used to do. They were, I don't, I, I don't want to give it away because I have a contract with them, which I can't reveal their name, but they changed the direction a little bit. And because of that, they went from being valued at like 50 million to a billion dollars in five years after that, right? But for first 20 years, they could have felt defeated because they were only a $50 million company in 20 years, right? But they were not feeling defeated. They had a vision, they were chasing that. So what are you really feeling? What is the timeline you're setting? What's the expectation you're putting towards you? Because that expectation would widely change based on the context and the conversation you have. And so don't worry so much about these other facts. Tiredness is not there. It's the other feelings. And if you can negotiate with these other feelings, if you can talk to these other feelings and kind of say, that's not mm -hmm. what I want. And let me reframe the story. Let me come up with a story that's a better story for me. You will find you will not be tired either. I couldn't agree more about what you said. It's like, you know, I'm going to paraphrase it this way. What I heard you say was like, basically, if you know where the hell you're going, if you know your purpose and you're anchored into that, you're never going to be tired, right? You're never going to be tired for the thing that you are supposed to be doing, for your calling, for God's work, whatever it is you want to call it, like your life purpose. You're never going to be tired for that because that fuels you. So I love that you said that. And it could be triggering for some people because a lot of people do feel lost, right? Or maybe they feel like they're pivoting and they're like, who am I? They're going through an identity crisis. So here we are talking how to build your life and your business on your own terms. How do we begin building our life and business on our terms? What does that even mean? What does that look like? What's the question we need to be asking ourselves? I think the first question is the question that you asked me first, which is what does success look like? Mm -hmm. What does success even mean? And to be real about it, right? Should not be defined by success of by Ajit's definition or Vasavi's definition or somebody else's definition, but success from the context of success. What does it even look like? And then getting comfortable with that if it doesn't fit society's standards, which it probably won't, because society's standards are very, you know, very shallow. They're not really they're not rooted in something that is deep, meaningful, purposeful. And so more likely, you're more likely to find a meaning and definition of success that is incongruent with society's definition of success. And once you find that, then you go, okay, this is my definition of success. I'm going to chase this. And I'm not going to feel defeated. I'm not going to feel excited with the timeline or the pace of this because there is no reason to feel that. So I don't know where I read or heard this, but somebody said in every 10-year cycle, a business will have three years of great success. Three years or four years, that'll be okay. And two years, that are going to be a shit show, right? And that happens more so if you're a new business. You get the shit years first, then you get the okay years, and then you get the great years. 
That means if in a 10-year cycle, about six to seven years would be either shit or just okay, right? So you're not going to feel successful for a very long time for you to finally see success. And then again, even after that, it's not that you're going to have a clean slate of success all the way. You're going to get two, three years of success, three, four years of okay, and two, three years of shit. Right? You're still going to go through the same cycle again and again and again. And if you can go through the shit and the okay with the sense of, I'm building this for a greater good, I'm still aligned to my purpose, my definition of success is clear, I'm living success every single day, you would find those two years as well. Most businesses don't survive the shit years. They don't survive the okay years. They give up during the okay years. And so they never get to enjoy the great success that happens at the other end. Now, everybody's cycle is going to be different, but some permutation combination of this math is going to show up in every single business. And it has globally happened all the time. The numbers may be up or down or differently placed, but they're going to be there. Mm -hmm. So get comfortable with that rhythm. Mm -hmm. And if you would get comfortable with that rhythm, know your North Star, know your success, you would be happy. And that's why it was interesting. And this is a revelation to me a little while ago. I was like, would I be unhappy if all my money was taken away right now? I was like, yeah, we'll be a little bit unhappy. You know, I have a very comfortable life right now. And then I was, I was like, would I be unhappy if my students were taken away from me? And I was like, I would be very unhappy, right? And that reminded me of my meter of success. My meter of success, my definition of success was never about how much I have in my bank account. I'm not saying I don't want money in my bank account. But what I'm trying to say is that because that's never been my greatest satisfaction, it's only a sense of safety for me. So I want to feel safe and that's why I want the money. But what is satisfaction for me, what's success for me is when I get to hear that story, right? When I get to talk to someone who tells me how the work really impacted them or their children or how they're taking that work and making it theirs or taking that work, moving society forward in their own way, in their unique way. When they say, hey, Ajit, I'll be your success story in four years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now. I will invite you to my event five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. I am more excited about that than anything else. Take away that, that's going to make me sad. But that also shows what success for me is. That is success for me. The money is a good thing, but my success meter, my compass is pretty set on the love I get to give and the love I get to receive. So it is a little bit transactional, you can say in a way, but it's very from the center of saying, I get to serve, I get to contribute. And if in return, somebody wants to celebrate me, I'll be so grateful because that makes me feel like, oh, thank, I, I'm doing something that I'm not just making up in my mind mm-hmm. that it's useful. It is impacting someone. Somebody is willing to take a minute and say, can I take a photo with you? Mm-hmm. Somebody's willing to say, can I tell you my story? Can I tell you my kid's story? Can my daughter give you a note because she loved your class so much? Or my son uh, share with you who's getting into his teens and how he's starting to coach his friends. And that's so much more meaning to me than anything else, really, in context of my creation in the world. I loved your distinction between safety and satisfaction. Thank you for that. Because you're not saying, oh, I don't care about money. That's stupid if you say that, because we need money to survive. Whether you like it or not, we do live in a transactional society. So, But I love that you said, it's my safety. But what brings me satisfaction is those little love notes. The, can I take a selfie? The, you know, oh, my kid is now doing this or we watch your videos together. And what I really want everyone hearing this, and I'd love to hear your take on this, is like, you know, let's just say you don't have a lot of clients right now. Let's just say you're like, should I even be doing this? My thing, what my father always taught me was treat 
everybody that you meet and leave them better than when they first met you? Could you crack a joke? Could you have some fun with them? Could you just ask them their name? Could you just look in their eyes? Could Mm -hmm. you just, you know, just talk to them? Like, you know, and so that's what I really hear from you. And I want to, I want to share that with people who are doubting their purpose. It's like, you know, I know you want clients and I know you want money and I know you want to get paid to do that, but let's just say that's not your reality right now. It will be. You can still impact people. You walk out the door, you're going to meet a human being. You can still impact. So I'd love to hear your take on that. Absolutely. And the truth of the matter is that if you operate from a place to service and contribution, getting clients is very easy. It's not a complicated thing. We make it more complicated in our head. But if you serve enough people, and that's literally how I started my coaching business, that's how I do my life even now, is I try to go how many people I can serve. Now, my platforms have, of course, changed. But when I initially started also, it wasn't like I was uh, sitting for a transaction or I was waiting to only talk to people that can pay me money. No, I was talking to everybody that I could possibly talk to and do whatever I could do to help someone. And I didn't expect a transaction. A lot of times I didn't get one. But what I also found very interesting is a lot of times even the clients that didn't say yes would send me someone. Say, hey, listen, we're not the right people to work with. Maybe you want to talk to this person. This is a friend of mine who's doing this and they can use some help. Sometimes it would be a person that I'll meet three, four, five years later. They would say, you know that chat we had? I implemented all of it. And here's what I've done with my business. It's been so nice. I was meeting a speaker a few weeks ago who is a very famous speaker and they do fantastic in the world and really good contributors. And there was a conversation I had with them maybe like seven years ago or something like that. And they were sharing how they still are implementing things that we have talked about or mind shifts that we caused and how their life is better because of it. And that was not a transactional relationship. I never got paid for it. I didn't ask for any money. I was doing it out of just courtesy to humanity and to people around me. But I'm still so grateful that somebody would come up and go, wow, I'm still using five, seven years later. I don't even remember how long, but it was a long time ago that we had that conversation. And that was a single conversation. It wasn't even like I was with them for three months or I was serving them or I did some crazy work with them. No, it was one conversation over dinner where we were just real and honest and I helped coach them in some of the things and they're still grateful seven years later. I'll take that over any checkbook ever. (laughs) Like It's so much more gratifying to receive that. And once you operate from that place, I don't think it's a problem. And that's why sometimes people come to me and go, oh, I just, I don't want to take your time. I'm like, no, if I have time, I want to give you all the time. Sometimes I don't, but, and then I will tell you, I'm also very boundary. So I'll tell you, listen, I'm going here. So I can't do that. But maybe you find ourselves in another place, another destination where we do have time. But if I have time, I don't have a problem. I'm here to serve. This is what I do. This is what I like doing. This is what gives me joy. And that is probably true for every single coach. Is It is true for you that you like helping, right? That is why you're doing what you're doing. There are a lot of easy professions you can do. Probably your current job is much easier than building this business. But you're doing it because you really enjoy being able to do something useful for another human being and seeing that transformation in their face and their life. Then why not do it for free? Like, it's okay. Just do it for free. If somebody pays you for it, great. Bonus. Uh, but if you don't get paid, just do it. And you will find more people are willing to pay when you don't need the money. Like when you don't need somebody to pay you, they want to pay you. They want to go, how much can I pay you for this? I want to work with you because you don't need it. That's such a great place to come from, right? Because people can feel that energy. It's like, oh man, it's like they're attached 
to this outcome. And I can personally attest to this, Ajit, and I know I've talked about this on previous episodes. I've called you up, I think, or I've texted you on like maybe three or four specific occasions. I had very specific questions that I only wanted the answer from you. And you made the time. And I think there was another time where you didn't. And then we talked like a few hours later. But I do want to personally attest to that, that you are that type of person who you really give a shit. You really Mm -hmm. give it. If you can help, you will. Yeah. You will help. If I the, can. If, if I can, if I will can. tell you that too. Yeah. yeah. And I I would never look at you and say, like, oh yeah, you're gonna bend over backwards and you're a people pleaser. No, you try to help and you are very mindful of your energy and your capacity. So I just wanna know that that is my personal experience of Thank you. you. 